we've come this morning in a variety of conditions. Some of us, um, personally, for various reasons, in, in need of life very badly. And uh, some of us just, you know, we, we sense that things are waking back up again culturally, and uh, that's good stuff. Uh, some of us doing okay, but we've been pretty pretty dead spiritually, and we're needing to come alive again. And I, I want you to know that that's God's promise for us, that we will come alive. We will come alive. Uh, I have a, a redbud tree that's planted in my side yard. If you've been around Gateway for a while, if you by any chance watched the uh, uh, televised version, we did the taped version, not the live stream, but the taped version of our service last Easter. So 2020's Easter version, if you remember for several months, we were taping our messages and our worship before we started doing live streaming. And the taped Easter version from 2020, I was in my backyard and uh, if you looked over my right-hand shoulder, and I'm sure all of you remember this detail, but if you look back over my right-hand shoulder, this is, there was this spectacular tree in my side yard. It's a redbud tree. It's gorgeous. And, you know, redbuds do really well in our area. I knew that, so I wanted a redbud tree in that part of our yard. And if you've been around long enough, you may know, but if you haven't been around very long, you may not know, right across Gum Spring Road, there's a, a tacky old barn and a house uh, down beyond it. We used to own that property, and, and part of you know, us negotiating moving in, building this building and moving into it, we, we sold off that piece of property, among other things. And we, we used to office out of that old home over there. Yes, I know it looks haunted. It did even then. Um, but the, there's a, a, a part of the property that we owned is a wooded area next to the, the house and the barn. And I was out there walking one day, and I saw a little redbud tree about this high. And I thought, shoot, you know, if I go over here to Melody Farms, it's going to cost me $60 to get that redbud tree. I'm just going to dig that thing up. Nobody will know the difference. So I'm telling you, I'm confessing that now, Gateway. So I went out with a shovel, and this was like nine, I understand now while we go to Melody Farms and buy our trees, it's like nine times as hard as I thought it was going to be. I had to dig this, because you know, when they get, sell them to you in the nursery they have these neat little balls at the bottom of them i mean they grow in the woods and the tree the limbs are all i mean the roots are all gangly they're all over everywhere so i had to first of all dig this gigantic hole i still damaged some of the roots but i managed finally to get it out after a day's labor and now how do i get it to the house so i thought all right i'm just gonna strap it to the top of my car which i did I strapped the redbud tree to the top of my car. Diane and I live in Ashburn, so I drove from here over to Ashburn, all excited about my redbud tree, and by the time I got there, it looked like it had been through a tsunami. <laughs> Most of the roots were, you know, this poor tree was just like, ah. I mean, the leaves were gone, and some of the branches were broken, some of the roots were broken, and not, not a single ounce of dirt on it. So I still... I'd gone through all of this. I'm not going to be denied. So I, I take it off the car, and I go to our side yard to dig up a hole. I kind of have to press the roots into something of a ball, throw a bunch of dirt on it, and I want you to know, I was so anxious to have this thing grow 
that I got really nice dirt from Home Depot. I spent almost as much money on the dirt from Home Depot as I would have spent just going there and buying a redbud tree. But anyway, I planted it, put all this nice dirt around it, and then for weeks, I'm out there with a watering can, you know, brushing off whatever three leaves were left just to make sure that this thing could stay alive, trying to create the perfect conditions for the redbud tree to come to, back to life. And if you look at it now in my side yard, it has taken over. It's gigantic. It's gorgeous every year because life is pretty stinking resilient when we create the right conditions for it. So I'm honestly going to be talking today about what I believe to be a critically important, one of the critically important conditions for life in us, for our spiritual lives and for our spiritual health. If you're looking for a title for today's message, the title might be something like Church, Why Bother? And the subtitle would be, Why Should We Come Back to Church in Person or Maybe We Shouldn't? So I'm speaking to those of us who are here. I'm also speaking to those of you who are uh, at home watching us online and you've been doing so for months and thank you. I'm super impressed with that. I... Uh, grew up in a very, very small town in eastern South Carolina. If you've ever been to Myrtle Beach and you got off of 95 down in the lower part of South Carolina and got lost and drove through one of those little towns and thought, who in the world would live here? That, that's where I grew up. And church was a, a dominant feature in my life, a significant central feature in my life growing up. At least from my memory, it was a central feature in, in the life of our whole community. Some of my earliest personal memories are memories of church. And I can remember one of my earliest, earliest memories of church, which is also one of my earliest memories. I remember sitting on what I suppose was the front pew of a church, and my mother is 10 feet away from me playing the organ, giving me dirty looks because I'm obviously too squirmy. If you look at our culture and at the church's place in it, from a purely objective perspective, you can't help but wonder, why bother? Has the church lost its significance? Uh, at least gathering for church, has that lost its significance? I mean, over the past year, we've learned that we can do church at home. And more important than that even, have we come to the place where we need to admit that, that church, at least the way we do it, that church has lost its way? Uh, in his book, uh, he wrote a number of years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a book we stole our title from. It's called Church, Why Bother? Yancey says this, I now see that the deep south fundamentalism of my childhood, which is very nearly the kind of atmosphere I grew up in, I now see that the deep south fundamentalism of my childhood represented far more than a place of worship or spiritual community. I now recognize that a harsh church full of fierce condemnation and empty of humility and any sense of mystery, stunted my faith for many years. In short, Christianity kept me from Christ. I spent the rest of my life climbing back toward faith and climbing back toward the church. In fairness to uh, Yancey's childhood church, I think we have to qualify that by saying these are his impressions of that church. I mean, Beauty or lack thereof is often in the eyes of the beholder. And, you know, if the beholder has a pebble or a splinter or a log in their eye, then that's certainly going to 
uh, affect the perception. And my own experience with my church growing up was gentler and kinder and honestly more Christ-like than what Yancey describes. But I know what Philip Yancey is talking about. There have been many times in, in my life when, when my impressions of church weren't altogether different from Yancey's. And, and there have been even more times when I've wondered, why do we need all of this? Why, why do, why, is this really all of this? Is all of this really critical to a relationship with God? Honestly, this conversation today is almost like an introduction to the next series of conversations that we're going to have here at Gateway. Over the next five weeks, we're going to talk honestly and frankly about how to connect with God. And we're going to try to look at it from a big picture perspective, and we're also going to look at it very, very practically. But this is almost an introduction to that topic. This, this, this question, with that in mind, do we need church? Is church significant? Is it even necessary? Is it important to a connection with God? I've had dozens of people tell me over the years, and I bet you have heard this, you may have even thought this. I've had dozens of people tell me over the years, you know, I can, I can be a Christian without going to church. Are they wrong? And this question takes on a whole new aspect in light of what we've experienced this past year, doesn't it? There are new layers of the whole come to church question. I mean, some of us have begun to come back to church already, obviously, and thank you. And you've been coming for months, many of you. Uh, others of us feel that coming to church right now is too risky. For others, it's the opposite. Some of you haven't come to church because we are requiring masks, and you're, you're done with all of that. In fact, there are some people who are connected to Gateway who have gone to other churches because there are other churches that a few churches now that are uh, allowing masks to be optional. And then there are those of us who have gotten out of the habit of coming. We've developed another habit, watching in our pajamas. And some of us, some of us have disconnected from church entirely. Now, that crew is not watching this morning and won't watch this week. At the first of this year, the Barna Group released a survey that said one in five Christians who were connected to church, one in, five, one in five Christians who were affiliated have not had not at that point been to church at all, online or in person. And I think it can be argued that what's happened during the pandemic of us slipping maybe, uh, what's happened has simply accentuated what was already decidedly and pretty dramatically happening. It was a dramatic trend long before the pandemic hit us. Pew, the Pew Research Group, they do an annual survey of religious affiliation in America, and you've seen this over the years. Uh, you know, the news channels will flash it up, you know, every other year or so if there's something significant about it. And you may know that uh, according to the uh, Pew Research Group, Affiliation with church, synagogue, and mosque has been declining for uh, 25, 30 years. In 1995, 71% of Americans claimed to be affiliated with a church, synagogue, or mosque. And this year, 2021, for the first time, it went below 50%. 49% of Americans say they... This is not, they're not actively involved, but just affiliated. 
49% of Americans are affiliated with a church, synagogue, or mosque. And we, of course, could have done the math on that because the fastest-growing religious affiliation in our country for years now, seven, eight, nine years, has been nuns. And that's not people who are practicing Catholic nunnery. That's N-O-N-E. That's been the largest-growing uh, religious affiliation in America for years. I think people have quit affiliating with the church for a variety of reasons, but it forces us to ask the question, why bother? I mean, you guys have gotten up this morning and gotten dressed and come. Some of you are watching us now, uh, right now, live streaming, and some of you will watch this later. Why bother? And I think for our text this morning, we can and should go to the 10th chapter of Hebrews. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, and he's going to give us some direction and speak into this question for us. So Hebrews uh, 10, 19 through 21, but we're going to focus on verses 24 and 25 at the end of our time today. So 19 through 21. First of all, let me read uh, verses 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that's his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, all you need to know about this is that this is, in effect, a very short summary of everything the author of Hebrews, the author of this letter, has tried to say up to this point. He has spent nine and a half chapters bragging in an outsized way about Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished. He's looked at the, the direct teaching of the Old Testament and the images of the Old Testament, and he's shown how Jesus is actually, all of that stuff was pointing to Jesus, and Jesus has fulfilled all of that. And then he's talked elaborately about how much greater Jesus is than, than anything else. All of this other stuff, Jesus, greater. And then he says, therefore, because of that, because this dramatic encounter because this experience has happened to us verse 22 and what follows in 22 through 25 are, are four charges or are four encouragements again we're going to look primarily at the second two but the first one is let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith I'm in verse 22 having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water so this is a couple of things right this is, first of all, a charge to engage with God. And again, we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks here at Gateway, connecting to God. And, and we can do this. We can engage with God because of the work that Jesus has done, because he's delivered us from guilt and shame. So now for us, our, our, our living that out is just growing in our experience of understanding his deliverance from guilt and shame. And... and He's also, this has become a reality for us because we have accepted it. And that's what he's getting at in the last part of that when he talks about being washed with pure water. That's our acceptance. He's talking there about baptism. And that's the New Testament way of saying, wow, I get it, I'm in. And then, and then we join with others in, in saying, I'm in. And this has happened to me, I've experienced this. By the way, we practice this here at Gateway. Uh, we have a, uh, in the stage over here, we have a, a baptismal pool over in this corner of our stage, and every now and then we will perform a baptism here at Gateway. We're doing so this afternoon, at noon, about a ha half an hour or so after our service is finished. 
We've got a a 10-year-old boy who is declaring today, I'm in. And I think he gets it. And and we've got a mother of two whose story will knock you out, who's who's going to declare with us today, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm down with this because I've been washed clean because of the work that Jesus has done going before me. And also, little note, this is an advertisement. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about that, we have a baptism class that we run every now and then. Uh, it's a one day, several hours. It just talks about what is baptism? What does the New Testament say about it? Why do we practice it the way we do? What do we do and how do we practice it? What does it mean for Gateway? And uh, that's on uh, May 16th. So you, you'll be hearing more about that or you can go to mygateway.life. Okay, uh, verse 23 is our second encouragement. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because it takes holding on, doesn't it? Because life is tough. It's hard to hold on. So let's do it. Let's hold on unswervingly. When the worst times come, let's hold on. All right, now we get to uh, uh, the punchline. Verse 24 and 25. And this is, gonna, this is gonna speak into our question of church, why bother? Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. All right, sorry, but we got to go old school for a minute. Verses 24 and 25, let's stand out of reverence for God's word. You've heard the setup. I think this this is what God wants to say to us today. And let's consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. And let's not give up meeting together. Some translations say, let's not give up the habit of meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. But let's encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, you can be seated. Let's consider... Let's think about this. Let's put some time and energy. Let's dedicate some energy. Let's consider how we may spur one another. And that word spur is the Greek word paroxysmos. And paroxysmos is, I bring that up because it is itself an intensifier. The the second definition of paroxysmos is to have an intense argument. It's negative. But it's primarily used in a positive sense to to encourage towards spurring someone on toward something. It it is an intensifier of the, the idea of encouragement. Let us consider how we may spur one another. Can I go obnoxious here for a second? Let's say one another together. One, two, three. One another. And I say that because that phrase, look it up sometime, that phrase, one another, is used over 40 times in the New Testament in the context of community, in the context of being people being with and for one another. We are to, devo- to be devoted to one another, encourage one another, honor one another, love one another, forgive one another, live in harmony with one another, accept one another, bear with one another, be patient with one another, be compassionate toward one another, admonish one another, and serve one another over and over and over again. Every author tells us over and over again to one another, one another. In effect... 
what they're communicating to us is you cannot do this alone. You and I need a posse. And more than that, we need a spiritual posse. This is why we bother with church. Not because of the rigmarole. We bother with church because we need a posse. We can't do this alone. I think the writer of Hebrews knows. By the way, he knows it because this is a principle of our design. This is how God made us. I think the writer of Hebrews knows that living a full God-honoring life is a community project. I'm going to say that again. The writer of Hebrews knows that living a full God-honoring life is a community project. You don't do that alone. Listen to this. Hebrews 3, 12, and 13 says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, and he's speaking corporately to all of us, you, you normal people, you abnormal people, you, you, you people who serve in certain ways, you people who lead in certain ways, you people who just come, see to it, all of you see to it, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, which is pretty much every day, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, because apart from that one anothering, you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In Hebrews 12, 14, and 15, he says this, make every effort, every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And it is so easy to have a bitter root grow up when terrible things happen to you. My response is for a bitter root to grow up. I don't know about you, but it takes work for that not to happen. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. This is a community project. And then our passage, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I think the writer of Hebrews knows that living a full God-honoring life is a community project. We need a posse. Now verse 25. And let's and let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Evidently, not giving up meeting, or evidently giving up meeting together, was already a habit by the time this is written in the first century. Already at this early point in Christian history, they had this tendency to give up the habit of meeting together. But a, but let's encourage one another, he says. Let's encourage one another. He doesn't say let's attend. He doesn't say let's show up occasionally on Sunday morning. He doesn't say let's dial in online whenever we can. He says let's encourage one another. And if we read the entire breadth of the New Testament, what we get is accept and serve and admonish and love and forgive and be patient with and be compassionate with and be devoted to one another. Now, why not give up meeting together? Well, let me, let me depart from the author of Hebrews for a second and uh, give you some thoughts to think on about that. Why not give up the habit of meeting together? I would say, first of all, for God. Now look, don't, don't read that the wrong way. God does not need you and I to show up online. He doesn't need you and I to show up here in person. It's not that we're meeting any need in God, but we come together, we come together to worship. So in that sense, we come together not for our own edification, but for him, 
We come together primarily to point our heads and our hearts and our wills toward God, not primarily for ourselves. This, this idea is certainly foreign and probably, frankly, a little boring to those who don't yet have a living relationship with God. But if you do, you know the joy of being part of the current of worship, especially worship with other believers. Remember, there's something special about corporate worship, about Christians getting together. Jesus himself set that apart. He said at one point, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there. I mean, he's always there. But he, he decided to identify this when, when Christians get together, that's a place where oh, I'm really there. And this is what we do, church. We worship. I like how Philip Yancey puts this. Yancey said this, church exists primarily not to provide entertainment, or to encourage vulnerability, or to build self-esteem, or to facilitate friendship, but to worship God. Now look, the church does encourage vulnerability. It, 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 uh, it does hopefully build self-esteem, but primarily what the church does, it worships God. If it fails in that, Yancey says, it fails. So the first reason that we bother with church is because God. The second reason I think we bother with church, the second reason we gather together is for others. Remember the whole idea of one anothering? Serving, loving, uh, admonishing, teaching, um, forgiving, being patient with. You can't do any of those things alone. Think of the images that the New Testament consistently strikes to describe what the church is. It calls us a temple of living stones on more than one occasion. On more than one occasion, we're called the body of Christ, and those are corporate images. You can't be an arm flapping around by yourself and be healthy. You've got to be attached to a body. We, we gather, we do church, we bother for others. And finally, we, uh, we bother with church for ourselves. We need a posse. It's how we were designed. And you don't just need a circle of friends. You need a Christian posse. You need a spiritual posse. You need, you need a you need a posse of people around you who are seeing to it that you end up where God designed you to be. Look, you can get encouragement from listening to Christian music and watching great Christian teachers online. And you can certainly go online today and find uh, bands that are a lot better than ours and teaching that's a lot better than this. And you can get encouragement from that. I want to underscore that and pause for dramatic effect. You can get terrific encouragement from Christian music and from great online teaching. But you can't get love and you can't get acceptance and you can't get admonishment. To admonish you, I need to know what's going on in your life and I need to say, you know, that's not what's best for you. You can't get service online watching music and watching great teaching. You can't, you can't get born with. You can't get be patiented with. You can't receive compassion. And you can't give it. You can't admonish others. You can't, you can't teach others. You can't, 
You can't correct others. You can't serve others. You can't be patient with others. You can't forgive others by watching them online. All right. The end. Uh, that's why we bother with church. Let me wrap up this morning with uh, um, some just practical, maybe frequently asked questions, category. Let's, let's cover some practical stuff in wrapping up this morning before we leave. Number one, uh, what about this whole thing with masks, Ed? Because I've had uh, a number of you speak to me about this, especially over the last two weeks, as we've all felt a little loosened up. And I've um, got my own uh, frustrations about that. We'll, we won't talk much about this morning, but driving me crazy today as I was trying to sing and wear my mask. Uh, we had an elder meeting yesterday, and we, we talked about masks at Gateway. So I want you to know what we've decided about masks. We're going to continue to require masks here at Gateway because the governor is requiring us to have masks. And the reason that we're subscribing to that is because Romans 13.1 tells us to obey those in authority over us. And we have not found any biblical or a spiritual uh, justification for social disobedience at this point. We, we don't feel like it's justified. So we're going to continue to require masks here at Gateway until the governor tells us that we should not or we don't have to. So if you would, please pray for the governor of Virginia to um, wake up. Did I say that out loud? Um, just pray for the governor of Virginia to um, allow us to move in a different direction. Second question, given everything you said, Ed, does this mean that I have to come back to Gateway in person to be living right before God? So obviously I'm speaking especially uh, to those of you, or if you're watching us from somewhere else, to return to your church in person, to be living right before God. And I've got to say, of course no. Of course no. It's so incredibly impressive. Some of you have been hanging with us online for months now. And you've been doing it faithfully. That's very, very impressive. Throughout the centuries, Christians have done this and have had to do it many times. They've had to go it alone or mostly alone. But remember, remember, these are the exceptions and not the rule. And those have always been extreme circumstances. Now, a global pandemic is a pretty extreme circumstance. So if you feel unsafe about coming back to Gateway or if you feel like your children will be unsafe, then don't do it. Continue to respond to your own sense of that. Stay home and, and connect with us as much as you can. But I, I want you this morning, and I want all of us, to put a stake in the ground around that decision. I honestly believe that Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 would encourage you to remember that that decision is temporary. And I want you to be constantly looking for when that decision can change comfortably for you. Uh, not only do we have a redwood tree in the side of our yard, we have a pear tree in the front of our yard. And at this point, it's, it's grown, it's really tall. It, I, it might be 20 feet, pretty narrow. It, it's right beside a very large red maple tree. And uh, our red maple tree, it, it kind of dominates the neighborhood. It's huge. Early in our time living in that home, I would just 
dump fertilizer on it constantly, and I'm so sorry now that I did. It's bigger than our house. We, we've considered moving out of the house and building a tree house. This, this, this tree is so big. And so here's the red, uh, red maple tree, and here is the pear tree, and the sun for most of the good months of the growing months of the year. The sun kind of does a circuit like this. So our pear tree lives its life in the, the shade of our red maple tree. Last year, we had a tree guy come to our house, and uh, he had to do a variety of things for us, and one of the things he had to do was trim out that uh, red maple tree. He goes to the pear tree, and he says, look, I'll trim this one out for you. I'll thin this one out for you as well, but I recommend you take it, cut it down. And I said, well, wait, why? Well, I like the... He said, come out and look at it. And he showed me how the tree has twisted. You can see it in the trunk. As it's grown, it has twisted and it has begun to bend because the, the pear tree is in search of more sun. It's, it's looking for sun. It's trying to make its way out <laughs> around the red maple tree because part of the condition for that pear tree to grow is sunshine. Uh, we do this. We have certain conditions that need to be met in order for us to grow effectively and healthfully. And, and sometimes we can shoot up and look pretty straight and pretty tall, and yet down at the base of us, there's this growing sense of unhealth. And, and one of the places where that can happen is when we disconnect. Can I say to you that you suburban Americans, Northern Virginians, you are too busy not to have community in your life. You need a posse. And if you don't have a posse, you'll continue to produce stuff in your life and you'll get taller and stronger, but you'll start to bend in some ways that aren't healthy. You'll bend toward the sun. You'll be looking for something that you don't even know you're missing if you don't recognize, I need a posse. Uh, what's the deal? One more thing. Um, what's the deal with the institutional church, Ed? Does it have to be all of this? And invariably, there are folks that ask this question. And if you're watching and you don't get the institutional church, I get it. We all do. So bottom line, once again, you need a posse. You need a spiritual posse, so let us help you find it. If it's not Gateway, if it's not the institutional church, fine. But you need a posse. Can I say one more word about that? Uh, if you develop a really good, healthy posse, and I pray that we all will, if you develop a really good and healthy posse and your posse is exciting, you may invite a friend or two and you know what's going to happen? Your posse is going to start growing and then they'll invite a friend or two and your posse is going to grow a little bit more and the next thing you know, you're going to need to organize it a little bit and provide some rules and regular, and we got, well, we got to take care of the kids. What are we going to do with them? And the posse is going to grow a little bit more. And the next thing you know, you're going to be us. And people are going to come to you complaining about you just like you're complaining about us. So save yourself some time, some time and join us. All right, let's end with this. Um, those of you who struggle with church, what if I don't like the organization, as I said, or maybe some of you don't like the performance of it. I mean, literally. The performance of church can be a little bit goofy. If you, you, you don't like Jordan or the band, you wish we had different kinds of music, or you, you, you're not, you can't tolerate Ed. And can I say, 
If that's how you feel, you have no idea how much I understand you. I'm trying to occasionally watch myself online now, and it is torture. I, I, I watch myself every second or third Sunday, and I'm, I'm thinking, what are you doing with your face and hands? Why do you do that? Stop. Just quit. Uh, so I get it. If, you, if you're just not into the performance of church, let's end with this. I can't help but think of this one pastor, Pastor Earl Palmer's illustration about the failings and shortcomings of church. Listen to this. He says, when the Milpitas High School Orchestra attempts Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the result is appalling. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the performance made old Ludwig roll over in his grave despite his deafness. He goes on, why bother? Why inflict on those poor kids the terrible burden of trying to render what the immortal Beethoven had in mind? Not even the great Chicago Symphony Orchestra can attain to that perfection. Why bother? He concludes, my answer is this. The Milpitas High School Orchestra will give some people in that audience their only encounter with the great Beethoven's great ninth symphony. Far from perfection, it is nevertheless the only way they will hear Beethoven's message. Look, here at Gateway, this may not be true of the church you came from, but here at Gateway, we play God's music badly. We represent him very imperfectly, and we know it. But we're trying. And we're trying really hard because we know that we may be the only chance that some people have to hear his great eternal music. So join us. You're going to be just as bad as we are, and that's okay. This is a great time, by the way, to engage or to re-engage with our church. We're, we're inching our way out of a once-in-a-generation set of circumstances. There's a sense in which we're kind of reinventing ourselves over the next four or five or six months, or at least we have the opportunity to do so. So connect with us. If you come right now to Gateway and you're brand new, a lot of us are brand new, so just come in and act like you own the place. I'm, I'm so impressed with those of you here and who are watching who've maintained your connection online for these months. First of all, good job. And secondly, I want to encourage you toward thinking of that as a temporary decision. And if you try to connect with Gateway and it doesn't work for you, that's perfectly okay. Let us help you find the right posse because you can't do the spiritual life healthily without it. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are your church and we represent you so imperfectly, but we're trying. And we thank you so much for the work of your spirit through us and in us because we are hopeless without that. And I pray, Lord, for your anointing this morning enabling us to um, love one another, to encourage one another, to serve one another, to admonish one another, to teach one another, to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to be devoted to one another, to be compassionate with one another. And Lord, this morning, uh, we lean into that calling on our lives. We welcome it. We welcome the opportunity to offer it, and we welcome the reception of it. 
In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. 